In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast. We're back at it again with episode 71, and we're talking Hero with Jet Lee. And it's one of those movies that I almost want to say Jet Li's hero or something like that to like better describe it. Because if I just say hero, I think it gets confusing. It's such like a generic term. But you can find the show notes and more for this episode at actualanarchy.com slash 71. I have my co-host with me, Robert, who just got back from a government-sponsored event about fires. And I just got a fence built. We were talking about that in pre-show. Some really good content there. And if you want access to that, support us on Patreon and you will get the behind the scenes that includes pre-show content and the post-show, which we call affectionately Kathleen Turner Overdrive. So you can find that at patreon.com slash readrothbard and support us there to get that wonderful, amazing content that we save for behind the paywall because it's top quality shit. Speaking of top quality shit, how are you, Robert, and how was your date last night? Yeah, if you have the means, I highly recommend it. It is so choice, the, the, the paywall content. Uh, sometimes we save our juiciest, raw, hardcore, the real thoughts. This is not the sanitized crap that we, we shovel at you on the regular show. You get the real, the real primo shit when you, uh, you know, you get what you pay for. So, um, how was my date last night? Uh, yeah, so I went to an art show last night. God, I'm just such a man about town. Hammer out in this cabin in the woods, being Mr. Uh, Mr. Lonely Pants, uh, crazy guy. Um, but then every once in a while, I'll, I'll creep into town. And um, last night it was an art show. It was a three-person art show, and um, I don't know, it was all right. It was pretty good. Talked to some ladies, some ladies. Um, but then, yeah, tonight was a, uh, a discussion on the raging wildfire situation and uh, what could possibly be done it, about it and what, what the causes are and uh, what some possible solutions are. And, um, of course, they don't actually say the real solutions, which is privatize everything and get government out of the way, allow people to fix things and not be reliant upon government to think the problem is being taken care of. Because a lot of uh, private landowners, they'll buy like 100-acre land and you know, just expect the uh, National Forester Service to come in and save their asses when it uh, catches on fire. So instead of doing more proactive measures, which they admit are the answer, but then they don't, you know, in one, in, in one breath they'll talk about the problems that government creates, but then the answers are always, well, we just need to change government a little bit, have government change the laws just a little bit, you know, talk to your authorities. <laughs> you know, frustrating. Well, I mean, they are experts on the matter because they created most of those problems, right? So who better to try to fix them and make them well, work? Well, right, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't. Who was it that said? Uh, was it Twain that said you can't fix the problem with the same mentality that caused it or something like that? Uh, I would throw that upon almost every government-created issue. I mean, I can't. I can't even single, think of a single one outside of maybe, maybe like a super temporary situation like where there's a government worker and they like set something on fire and then that same government worker puts that fire out i mean maybe that's the, that's the extent of government's ability to solve a problem that they create but we're talking like large industrial size problems uh 
you can't expect uh, them to be able to solve it like long-term, like real solutions. Indeed, and speaking of real solutions, let's get into our last nighter's portion of the show, which is our solution to provide you a version of the show worth sharing that doesn't have anarchy stank on it via the name Actual Anarchy. We're, we are passionate about anarchy and actu- you know what actual anarchy is, but we realize that the name is a bit of a turnoff for some people, so that's why we have our solution, The Last Nighters. So if you're ready, Robert. Let's do this. Let's talk about this movie, Daniel. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert of The Last Nighters. We are The Last Nighters and we are talking about the movie Hero starring Jet Li and Donnie Yen. And this can be found, the uh, show notes and everything can be found at actual... That was my rewind sound. Lastnighters.com. Lastnighters.com slash 14. So this is the 14th episode of The Last Nighters. uh, Talking about Hero with Jet Li. So how you doing, Robert? We're going to get into the Google description in just a moment here. Oh, I'm doing lovely, sir. I'm feeling fresh and fancy free. Smelling good, feeling good. You know, when you smell good, you feel good. I think that's the uh, the rule in life. All right. So quack if like you a duck don't and... feel good, you know, take a bath, you filthy animal. All right. So take you're quacking like a duck, you're feeling good. So Hero came out 2002, foreign film, drama, action, two hours. Uh, I think this is uh, Made in China, starring Jet Li and Donnie Yen and a couple of other folks. I can't really pronounce their names. I feel a little bit bad about that. Uh, right. 7.9 on the IMDb, 95% Rotten Tomatoes, 3.5 by Robert, Robert, 3.5 out of 4 by Roger Ebert. Are you having a stroke right now? Yeah, I need to be worried. I'm off my game tonight. Uh, 79% of Google users like it, and I, I find that kind of interesting because, generally speaking, the Google users are a bit more of the, um, if it's a good movie, they'll generally say so, even if the critics don't like it. But this is a little yeah. bit lower than the critics. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised there. I am surprised. I was just looking at a movie today, I forget the name of it, that was uh, something like like in the teens, like 17 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. But was it like 91% Google users? <laughs> they're they're pretty a forgiving bunch, those Google users. <laughs> that they that are. And their editor wrote this as a description. In this visually arresting martial arts epic set in ancient China, an unnamed fighter, played by Jet Li, is being honored for defeating three of the king's most dangerous enemies when Nameless recounts his battles with the assassins, Broken Sword, Flying Snow, and Moon. The king begins to question some of the details. As Nameless goes on, the king challenges the tales, interjecting his own take of on these perhaps suspect version of events. Came out August 27, 2004 in the U.S., but it was uh, filmed you know, a few years prior. came out in China in 2002, and it is a pretty interesting movie. What do you think of that description, Robert? Yeah, that's pretty dang accurate Um I had originally seen this movie when it came out, so we're talking a long time ago, um, and... It kind of ruined the subsequent watching because I knew right away, spoiler alert, that of course the original story that Jet Li is telling the Emperor is a, is a fabrication. But it didn't stop me from enjoying the movie overall. Um, and we'll get into it. But it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a very mixed movie for me because on the one hand it kind of celebrates rebellion and not necessarily like rebellion. Well, it is kind of celebrating rebellion. But like, you know, overthrowing like tyranny, you know, fighting back against tyranny. Like this is, so this is the story of the first emperor of China, essentially. The guy, every tyrant has the same fantasy, that they are going to unite the world. Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, I mean, name a tyrant throughout history, and they basically have the exact same idea. We have all these little warring states, these little warring factions. Let's conquer the whole planet, and then we'll have an end to war. It's the same uh, idea that Emperor Palpatine has in Star Wars. It's, it's always the bad guy, and it's a bad guy for a reason, because it's a really dumb idea. Now, yes, you don't get... You, trade, you essentially trade one form of horrific violence for another. It never gets at the root cause, which is the belief in authority, which causes these issues. So it's, it's one guy saying, well, once I get rid of all these warlords and whatnot, I'll be the one king warlord, and we'll have peace. And it doesn't matter how many people I need to murder to accomplish that. So they're basically saying, I mean, it's, it's a completely horrifically, you know, immoral mixed message. Which is it? Is murder and horrific, you know, violence bad or is it good? Can it be used for good? Me as a libertarian, I say, of course not. 
you're violating people's property in their lives, even no matter how noble your dumb goal is. Because as I think Star Wars beautifully illustrates, uh, when you even if you do unite all these lands, and Genghis Khan found this out, uh, Rome found this out, I mean, they all found it out eventually. Some of them took longer to learn this lesson than others. But people ruled with an iron fist tend to resent it. People forced into a bigger collective tend to think, well, I don't really identify with these policies being imposed on us from half a world away. Shocker. I know, it's a shocker. Surprise. But, oh, my God, these people don't appreciate all the peace I've forced upon them. Oh, those and remaining. So you, right, for those still alive, still breathing. I mean, um, I think Dave Smith points this out, and he's, he's pointing it out from other people who've said it before him. But, essentially, terrorism is the cost of empire. It is the, the way of the ruled people to fight back with whatever means they have at their disposal. So the idea that you would just have this peace after you conquer all these people and they'll just thank you for it is like the dumbest fantasy ever. And this movie does not provide a clear message on that. There's the broken sword guy who's fully on board with this idea. He's like, hell to the yeah, kill everybody, force this peace on people. It's going to be a great idea. Then there's the Jet Li character who, for the most of the movie, is like, no, he's trying to wipe out my people and my land. You know, this, this home, he's, he comes from like this little 10,000, what is it, square acre or, you know, this tiny little prefecture or whatever they're called in China. And he's like, no, this emperor is going to kill us all. I need to fight back and stop this guy because he's a murdering tyrant. And then there's, uh, what's the girl's name? Snow falling something or other? Wind or what is it? Flying snow, I think. Yeah, okay. So she's on board with it. And then uh, the Donnie Yen character, he's on board with it. I forget his name. He, he fights with a spear, though. Remember that? But anyway, um, and, then, and then at the end, Jet Li is like eventually like, okay, I'm not going to kill you. And he ends up getting murdered, slash, they call it executed. And then they bury him as a hero. Aw, isn't that nice? What you do with my bones afterwards. Oh, it's so respectful uh, for murdering me. Whatever. Uh, I found this movie's message incredibly mixed and ultimately terrible. I could understand why, you know, this would get like a sell well in China, right? I mean, this is like nationalism. This is patriotism for China. They take like a great amount of pride in their land and they want to, they're kind of married to this idea that uniting all these Chinese people was a fantastic thing, no matter how it was done, no matter how much blood was used in the mortar. What did you, uh, what did you have to feel about this movie, Daniel? Yeah, so we're we're talking uh, the feels here. Um, you know, I I think you stole a lot of my thunder there because I Good. was going to say that it's it's basically an argument for world government, and yes. you hear it with, like you had pointed out, all the tyrants of of history, but even the League of Nations um, and the uh, United Nations, and of course conspiracy theorists uh, around, uh, all talking about world government and the um, the Amero the and world and order, the world order, order. order, yeah, thousand points of light and all that stuff. And, of course, you're right. Um, there's already too much uh, centralization of power that's going on, and that's how governments are even, even able to amass the destructive capacity that they do have. I mean, Robert Higgs points out in uh, many of his contrasts and comparisons between an anarchist society and uh, a government uh, statist society, and he's like, well, anarchists didn't commit the um, atrocities in China and, and murder 60 million people, starve 40 million in Russia, kill 6 million Jews. These were governments. These were states. These were concentrations and the masses of power uh, that you're, you're not able to or even have the need to create in a, um, you know, a free society. Uh, so it's only because you can tax and extract productive resources from the people, from your tax cattle, that you can then squander it on, on these uh, very destructive things. Um, so that's kind of my, my little mini rant there. I did want to say that the movie, it was toying with me because I, I might have seen it quite a while ago and I, and I hardly remembered it, but some of it was vaguely familiar. But I didn't recall enough to know whether the Jet Li character was going to give him one last twist at the end mm. or not. Mm -hmm. Because I kind of thought and was hoping that when he revealed the Broken Sword story, that Broken Sword said, our land or uh, whatever the Chinese um, version of it, I know the U.S. version, it was changed to our land. Um, I think in Chinese it was supposed to be under heaven or all under heaven. So in, he in, in essence, you know, the, the material world, um, that he had decided not to kill the, the king of Kwan, 
how do you say the name of the of the region? Is it Quan or Quinn or something like that? Uh, I think it's like Chin or yeah, something like that. I, I don't ask me. I, I, I believe it's the it's the root of China, name. right? So it's probably Chin Chin Dynasty. Yeah, it's the, it's the first the first the first empire, whatever it was called. Yeah. So forget where I was going with that, but but I thought there was me one last twist, and he was going to use it because the king had sort of discovered his plot. You know, like, hey, you're, you're able to advance closer to me and I have all this protection and all these measures in place to keep people away from me because there have been assassination attempts multiple times and I'm very careful. And now you're close enough to do your, you know, 10 meter dash stabbing attack that no one can stop. Uh, right. You know, the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon shit. And he had called him out on it saying, well, I, I think you're here to kill me. And of course he was correct. But then the broken uh, sword story, I thought, was to buy him time or some other, you know, avenue of accomplishing his goal. And and that's one thing I don't totally understand is broken sword was like, OK, yeah, the king is an a evil dude. He's he's a bit of a tyrant. And he, and he even admits it himself. Uh, but he's the only one capable of concentrating enough power to make this happen. He's the only one who has the capacity to kill enough people to overcome their resistance to impose this quote-unquote peace upon them, uh, all those that you know remain alive. And I just don't get behind that message at all. It makes zero sense to me. I mean, the idea of a world peace is a noble goal, but the means by which he intends to achieve it are pure evil. And, and by, by extension, the results would be very evil. There would be most of the people dead. So, and the ones left alive would resent the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and to think that, okay, so you're going to kill a bunch of people, build up all this resentment, and then concentrate even more power than you had before, right? When it's the seven individual kingdoms, there's already various levels of concentration of power because they're warring states fighting each other. But now you're going to get this, you know, it's all seven together and, and potentially even more, right? Expand beyond that. And these are people with different languages, different cultures, different belief systems. It already is so, um, you're already so top down trying to control enough people. And then to just add more to that mix, you're going to get so much further away from what any of those individuals want, right? We've talked about this in, in shows in the past where whatever level of government people who are statists are approving of, government's changing all the time. It's always growing, right? It's always getting more and more and more. So at at what point is it right for you or me or you listener or you listener over there? It's going to change by next week. And so this whole concentration of, of power and, and essentially getting to even a world government, you're right. It would just breed additional atrocities and other types of um, maybe not outright warfare, but like despotism, you know, secret police and uh, restrictions and controls upon people. Like there's a, in present day China, there's a, a game system called Sesame Credit, which essentially ref, uh, is a social network that gives you a score based on how good of a citizen you are. And you get different rewards or restrictions based on how good of a citizen you are. I mean, that's some, you know, Orwellian nightmare shit right there. And yet it's, um, it's coming, you know, to a, to a country near you. Just crazy shit. Yeah. And it's sold, you know, they sell it in seemingly positive, you know, ways. Like, it's completely optional to start. You just get benefits, you know. Like, you're, I mean, you're talking about essentially a, well, what was mostly a communist country. It's, it's slowly getting more and more free market. But now it's going back in the other direction here with the Sesame Senate shit. So it's sold as, like, you know, you'll, your, you know your, your papers that you're applying for will get through faster. Your, your plane ticket will get approved or your travel pass will get approved or maybe you'll get a slight discount on this or that. It's only a matter of time before, before it all becomes super mandatory and you start getting real world violently punished for not being a good citizen, for not having, you know, you know getting getting turned in by your friends or your family members for not doing a certain thing or doing a certain thing. And this is like, you know, China, there's a long history of this sort of thing with the struggle sessions and Mao. If you're not familiar with that, look that up. Basically where you would get in some sort of like a community situation and everybody had to like admit their sins against the state essentially each week. And you better have something to say. So if you don't, you have to like narc on your, your relatives. If they're doing anything that supposedly, you know, is, is against whatever they make up, it's a nightmare. And it's everything that has nothing to do with, with liberty or freedom in any way. Now, I've heard some libertarians talk about this in a positive light. And under a strictly voluntary situation, 
not instituted by a government, I'm okay with it. I mean, if a company is like, you know, we're going to sell, you know, our products for 5% less to people that do X, that are, you know, whatever, environmentally conscious or, you know, don't support the war machine or whatever, you know, that's, that's perfectly, they have those things, they're called like rewards cards. But essentially, if, if they were to, if you were to volunteer this sort of information of like your personal life, like, look how good of a person I am, give me more discounts. I would be more on board with it, but this is top-down instrument. You know, it's essentially a, a, a corporate a corporation. I believe it's making this thing, and it's in conjunction with the government, and it's voluntary to start. But mark my words, it will not eventually, unless there's a massive pushback. I can't imagine it not being ultimately uh, mandatory. Yeah, and and just to jump off on that point, I mean, everything that ends up being, you know, like the bane of everyone's existence is always presented as some innocuous, you know, like, oh, only the the top 1% will ever pay income taxes. Oh, Social Security will never get out of hand. You know, it's, it's you're putting money in and just getting the money back out and we're protecting you. Meanwhile, it's a redistribution scheme and now almost every class of any earning gets income tax. And everything's always presented as this like initially, it's only going to affect a very small number of people. It's only going to be very tiny amounts and don't worry, you know. Uh, and it reminds me of, um, uh, you mentioned the, the struggle sessions and people ratting on each other. It's like East German Stasi type shit. And they had a wall, Berlin divided East from West. And that was a wall to keep people in. And I know Trump wants to do a wall on um, the Mexican border to keep people out. Well, it's not that difficult to change the direction in which the wall is intended to restrain people or or limit them on both sides. And uh, that ties us back to the movie because the emperor, uh, at the end, it's revealed that he is the one who built the Great Wall of China to protect his subjects after he murdered a whole shit ton of them. Yeah, to uh, deal with the, the uh, Mongolian hordes who are the villains in Mulan and other, and other movies. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an incrementalism. And people that advocate for a policy, I mean, if you're, if you're advocating for something to be used against another person, it's only a matter of time before it will be used against you. So be careful when you advocate for violence. That's all I can say. Yeah, and I have a rant on voting uh, that I wanted to share. And I, I view this as um, democracy or even a constitutional republic, just voting in general. And I know this can be a controversial opinion and doesn't really relate to this movie directly, but they are, in, in essence, trying to establish a better society in their heads or in their minds. And they're sort of like the power voters in this in, this, in the movie. So allow me to rant. Do it, Daniel. Essentially, I see voting as violence. And I don't, in the political sense, I, I view it as violence because you are subjugating anyone who said no or voted for the other side or didn't vote at all to whatever the winning position was. So really the only non-aggressive method of voting is to say no to any additional tax or regulation. But even this, even this defensive voting, gives credence to the, to the system at all, right? And some people will quibble with that, but I, I feel like if, if you're voting at all, it's a sign to them, a signal to them, that, oh, this is, a, this is something we want to continue doing, right? And if you really break it down, it's basically saying that my life and my property are not truly my own, and they are subject to the uninformed decisions of others. And it makes it really easy to mask the violence that it is because it outsources that violence and socializes the costs of the violence so that it's no longer up to each individual to rob their neighbor. Now they can just tick a box and their neighbor will be robbed. And as we know, studying economics, reducing the price of something tends to increase the consumption of it. So really, it is violence. It's just a few added steps and it alters the language to obscure its true nature. And uh, tying it back to the movie, one of the points that was made um, in the film was that there are all these different cultures, like we were talking about before, speaking different languages, and, and many don't really understand each other. So the king's response was, I'll just force them all to speak one language. And this reminds me of this um, world language movement that was happening about 50 years ago, where they were trying to introduce a new language called Esperanto. And I think that this was related to trying to help in enact in uh, world socialism, because there's all these socialists who are like, oh, we all want to speak not English, because English is the language of the evil capitalists. So we're going to create this new language called Esperanto and get everyone speaking it because top-down solutions, one size fits all is the right way to go. Right, Robert? Oh, it's always the best. Uh, when you try and force people to do a thing, they always react super positively because, 
amazingly, believe this or not, Daniel, uh, central planners don't know everything. They don't have all the best answers for every single human being on planet. You just don't. There's no such thing. There's no one body. There's no one group that has all the answers for every single human being. But they pretend like they do. Not only do they pretend like they do, they also pretend like they have the moral right to do it, to force it on everybody. And they don't have either one of those things. They don't have the right answers, and they don't have the moral right to force it on everybody. And all they cause is problems and discord and resentment. Because, you know, I mean, who has, who's, the, who's got the, the best idea of how to spend your money? You or some guy in Olympia? You or some guy in, you know, whatever, wherever you're, you're, you happen to be in the world. It's, it's, it's going to be you. Even if you're wrong, you know, like some of the time, and you come back and you go, oh, I wish I hadn't bought this thing. That was dumb. You're still a million times better at spending your own money than some bureaucrat, you know, who doesn't know you, who's never met you, lives, you know, whoever knows how long far away from you. It's impossible for them to ever represent you in any real way. It's just, it's just, it's an insane system. And people defend it to the death because they go, well, the best we got, it's not perfect, but it's the best we got. No, you're wrong. Freedom is the best we got. Yeah, and we like prove it every day of the week, every human, minute of the day. Human sacrifice is the best system. You know, it's not... <laughs> <laughs> it's not the greatest. It's just the best one we got. So anyway, I want to shift topics a little bit on you. Um, we still haven't implemented categories, but I just want to mention that Donnie Yen, that fight scene at the chess club, mm-hmm. awesome, awesome, brilliant. Like, oh, Donnie Yen's a stud. I don't know if you followed his work much over the years, but yeah, he's a he's a brilliant martial artist. Yeah, I did watch the Ip Man trilogy, and it starts off really really good, and then it gets a little hokey, especially with uh, Mike Tyson in, in Ip Man 3. But Mike it's... Tyson in Ip Man 3? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, baby. I don't think we're going to get uh, to the Ip Man 3 uh, on this Is this like show. a Street Fighter 2 Balrog situation, where like they're like having a street fight, and Mike Tyson shows up, and he's like the big boxer guy? Does he have boxing gloves on? No, no, he's the big bad businessman who's behind the scenes pulling the strings. And oh, okay. He agrees that if John, Donnie Yen lasts three minutes with him in a in a fist fight in his office, he'll like leave him alone or something like that. Anyway, this isn't about that movie. <laughs> uh, but Donnie Yen is a stud, and the choreography and the cinematography and just the the style of this film is really brilliant. Like it is beautifully done, very high level of craft. Um, they are trying to evoke stunning imagery and and trying to try to pull out some art out of this i think just with uh, yeah this movie um i was surprised i thought this was wen mu ping who's the famous choreographer from uh, matrix and crouching tiger hidden dragon but it wasn't it was another guy i don't know if he's you know worked with wu ping or learned from wu ping at all but i thought this was like man wu ping is that his wu pingiest this is like peak wu ping this is peak ping but it wasn't. But you're right. This movie is incredibly artistic. It is, in a word, poetic. Um, I know that you know martial artists like to say, compare martial arts to you know ballet or an art form or a dance, and this is you know one of the danciest martial arts movies I've seen in a long time. And just yeah, like you said, the imagery is beautifully done. Especially uh, my favorite was probably the uh, the yellow tree fight scene. That was really beautiful. Um, but yeah, just really good stuff. Also, the, the Donnie Yen fight, just because he's such a stud. Um, but yeah, beautifully done. Beautifully done movie. Um, just, just you know, I don't, I, I hate the the overall, the overall message is just such crap. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention the the water fight scene with the Ninja Jesus because they're walking on the water. Oh man, yeah, yeah. I, I it reminded me of um, you know uh, Chinese folklore is uh, rife with heroes. And like you know, kind of like hero worship kind of stuff. And the um, their uh, God, what is the name? It's the one with uh, Sun Wukong and you know that that folklore stuff. Someone's probably screaming into their listening to this right now. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, their uh, their history is filled with like heroes who are you know capable of amazing feats, just just crazy superhuman type shit. And so then you get like a, a series like Dynasty Warriors. I don't know if you're familiar with that video game series, but that's essentially where one guy, one like Chinese hero guy, can just mow through just thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, regular human dudes. And this movie, yeah, reminded me of that, where you got like just these superhuman level heroes taking out just hundreds and thousands of guards like they're nothing. Which, but you know, if you if you're down with that kind of style and you don't, it doesn't bother you. You know, you can still you can absolutely enjoy it. But it might it might annoy some people because it is a bit kind of um, 
kind of Mary Sue-y in that the heroes aren't really given a challenge. Because if, you know, you got these four heroes, it seems like they could just walk in, kill the emperor's entire army, and then just walk up and kill the emperor. I mean, why not? What's stopping you? If you're like this superhuman badasses that can't be killed, they're cutting through shields like they're tissue paper, and just, you know, one spin kick takes out like 10 soldiers and sends them flying and shit. Even, you know, or they're like spin kicking um, clouds of arrows away, you know? It's very poetic and beautifully done and all that, but it is, you know, it's it's fairly ridiculous, of course. Yeah, I wonder if the backstory on this is that they were like almost demigod types, these uh, assassin slash warrior types. I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure they've all been, yeah, super mythicized. Um, but uh, it's not Romance of the Three Kingdoms. What is it? What am I thinking of? Damn it! You know, Sun Wukong, the Monkey King. You know, they go on an adventure. They've made all kinds of movies about it. Damn it! Showing <laughs> uh, my ignorance, I hate it. Oh, it's all right. We, we, we show it off all the time on this show. So uh, let's get back a little bit. I wanted to ask you, because they keep referring to calligraphy and swordplay and the warrior and the way of the warrior, and there's like different levels, and they, they reach these epiphanies. And the final one is that you put down your sword and realize that you don't need to kill. And I think that's sort of the progression that Jet Li goes on in, this, uh, in the retelling, because he he's hell-bent on killing the king, right? I mean, the king is an evil dude. Thousands of people are dying at his feet as a result of the decisions he's making. Yep. Um, so what, what do you feel about this, this narrative of that once you reach peak warrior, that you no longer have the desire to kill, like you've transcended that? Yeah, I, I don't think you need to learn that through killing people, but I think that's one path to go about it because you ultimately realize, oh, geez, I've killed all these people. And look, I haven't made the world a better place at all. Shocking. Kind of like the, the lesson learned in The Last Supper, the last movie that we did, where these lefty progressive college students were killing all these people. And, of course, they're slapping themselves on the back saying, oh, look at all these, these next Hitlers that we prevented. But um, and ultimately, I don't think they actually really learned their lesson in that movie. But, uh, you know, in the real world, hopefully, you know, a lot of uh, warriors and soldiers, they come back from war and they go, holy shit, here I was all gung-ho to go do a thing, to, you know, defend my country or to go kill the bad guy. And look at all I did was cause a whole bunch of misery and pain. And I didn't accomplish a damn thing. And all I did, so that is one way to do it. Um, I don't know about, you know, reaching the peak ultimate, you know, that's like the ultimate secret knowledge at the end of the, the warrior's path, or if it's an allegory for that. Um, I, I got to assume it's more of an allegory than it is a real thing where once you learn enough about being a soldier, that you ultimately realize that you don't need to be a soldier. I think you can just kind of look at what the end result of soldiers is. <laughs> That's 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 tends to be my opinion. I don't feel a desire. I don't know about you, Daniel, but I don't feel a desire to go pick up a gun and go shoot some some people that never caused me any problems before in their own land for no reason other than to get a bunch of defense contractors a bunch of money, a bunch of stolen money. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I thought that that it was a progression that is kind of interesting because. I feel like it is a realization that perhaps you don't need to use violence to get what you want. And if if I liken that to his achievement of this, um, what do they call it, actualization, where he then realizes that, oh, using all this violence is not the solution. I want to say that that's where we are at. You know, we we have this crazy extremist idea that violence isn't your first option to try to solve the world's ills. Uh, it is, in fact, only the last option and only in terms of self-defense or defense of another innocent person. And if, if people were, like you said earlier, uh, dropped that false belief in authority and went with their own understanding of right and wrong and saw violence for what it was or, or the political process for the violence it was and achieved this warrior status where you drop that voting, you drop the, uh, the, ar- the, you know, the, the gun in the ribs of your neighbor held by an agent of the state that you're voting for, um, then the world would, in fact, be a better place. 100%, buddy. That is, that is the goal, trying to convince people with non-specialized knowledge that what you learned when you were two years old, when your mother said don't hit people, is the proper way to live your life. And why wouldn't you want to hit somebody? Because you wouldn't like it if somebody hit you. It's really that simple. It's about respect. It's about recognizing that other people own themselves just like you own yourself. And it's like you said recognizing them that at the end of your 
vote is a mandatory effect carried out with violence by agents of the state. So no matter how well-intentioned you are, when you think that somebody, some new regulation needs to come into effect, or there ought to be a law about a thing, you are advocating for somebody to die, and I don't think people recognize that. And it does sound hyperbolic there. It does sound extreme. But all we're saying is that if you look at the logical progression and if the recipient of that enforcement resists in any way. Sometimes even you don't have to resist. Sometimes, sometimes you could just be a guy sitting there. And because of a drug law, some guys in black with submachine guns can bust into your house, shoot your dog, not even identify themselves. You think you're being invaded by some criminal thugs, which is true. You shoot back and they fill you full of bullets. And that happens all the time. And so, yeah. Anyway, continue, Daniel. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Hard, hard to laugh at that. But uh, uh, I think we went, we went way sideways on our little tangent here. But the essence is that the way of the warrior achieving their actualization is that they, they lay down the sword. And in the lead up to that, he was mentioning that to a warrior, even a blade of grass can be a weapon. And I just thought that was interesting because of recent events where guns are now demonized, you know, even more so due to the Parkland shooting. And I think the point in the movie with a blade of grass can be a weapon is that anything can be a weapon. Anything, anything used as such is, in fact, a weapon. And uh, a funny thing, I think we brought this up perhaps in the Billy Madison episode or in um, The Last Supper, was that the schools are now talking about putting a bucket of rocks in in the classrooms to defend uh, themselves against someone attacking with firearms. And, you know, those rocks are then a weapon. And sure, more effective than hiding behind a desk, uh, but, but a weapon nonetheless. Well, and yeah, and, and these are all people trying to put Band-Aids on situations. Because ultimately, the most dangerous weapon ever is the human mind. And the solution for solving that problem of a weaponized human mind it's to not aggress against them. It's to treat them well. And I, you know, that's pretty basic shit that people respond to how well they are treated. They respond to incentives also. But people aren't born monsters. They kinda, they're created. And you can weaponize a mind really easily by murdering their families, bombing their weddings. Because people, you know, they tend to get pissed off when their loved ones get murdered. Yeah, and Flying Snow, her dad, her father, died resisting um, uh, the king of Chin. I think it's how you how we agreed on saying it. Sure, and that's why, that's why she's so um, bent on eliminating him, you know, assassinating him. And she is at odds with Broken Sword over this because he's trying to take this higher plane and she's seeking revenge and stopping the continued atrocities because it's very apparent, like during the storm, storm, storm uh, advance on the calligraphy school that they're both at, they're just hurling tens of thousands of arrows into this entire um, school, killing everyone in the school except for the three super demigod warriors. And the master of the school says, you know, we're going to keep writing, even though this hail of arrows is coming down, killing us. And I thought that that was also trying to make a point, something along the lines of you can't use violence to shut down our speech. You know, we're, we're going to continue to write. We're going to continue to say what we're going to say, even though you kill us in the process. And the, it, right. And it's also another way to say it would be a, a way that um, V says it in V for Vendetta and that ideas are bulletproof and no, no, nothing can stop an idea that it, it's, whose time has come or something like that. But yeah, no matter how hard you try, Emperor, you cannot silence us and, and our words and our ideas will, will spread and they are, you cannot kill them no matter how hard you try. Right, but then they show the evil of this man, the whole movie, and then they make him win. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they had to get this movie passed like the, the government censor board. <laughs> we can't have the emperor die at the end. Come on, make it so he lives. He's such a hero and awesome guy. It's such a great, great plan, you know, conquering the world so that you can have peace. Great idea. Yeah, and of course it's based on, you know, the historical story, so he had to live. Um, but it's like they had to twist it into this, a, a positive, like this silver lining is, hey, we're this great big country now. Sure, thousands of people had to die in the process, or a huge percentage of the population. Um, it's just, it's, it seems crazy to me, and maybe that's my westernized eyes looking at it, like, how can anyone think this is a good thing? Oh, yeah, and then the ones that lived through it are the ones that, you know, didn't resist, right? They're the ones that are, like, obeying, going along to get along. They're basically the bootlicking supplicants. So that's the takeaway from this movie is that, yes, you should just, you should just submit to tyrants because, because that's a good thing. What kind of message is that to tell anybody? That's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, that's even really Jet, Jet Li at what the, the end. Movie? Go ahead. I, I was going to say it's better 
to die on your feet than live on your knees. That's all I was going to say. Go ahead, Daniel. And that, that's an excellent point. Uh, but Jet Li, and I, I wrote this down, he says, Because of my decision today, many will die, and your majesty will go on living. A dead man begs you to never forget the ultimate ideal for a warrior is to lay down his sword. And then the emperor orders him murdered, executed, and then he still goes on and fights the remaining six kingdoms and unites them. So I don't really understand after this speech where he's trying to impart this wisdom, uh, whether it had really any effect other than to get him a... a hero's burial and they kept saying make an example of him even though the king at the time was like oh i actually have respect for this guy and i don't want him to die but the law says i must and therefore i will murder him even though he's the king so is he saying that he is bound by the law or that he can't change the law i mean the whole magna carta they follow it when it's convenient they follow it when it's something they want to do anyway. That's the truth of the matter. When there's someone in the ruling class, you know, they don't want to do something like, oh, I'm sorry, bound by the law. Or when they do want to do something, oh, I'm sorry, it's the law, I've got to do it. They, you know, they don't care. All right. Well, yeah, I was just trying to throw in Magna Carta stuff because that was like the point in Western history where the king was no longer above the law. And I believe it was intended to say that there are natural laws that exist above and beyond even any, you know, human king, human authority. And it's been a struggle ever since to create more and more of that recognition of what natural rights are. And just one last time on the soapbox regarding the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment does not grant rights. The Bill of Rights does not grant rights. It is there delineating what natural rights previously exist and are not to be messed with by the government. Correct. It's it says to Congress shall make no law abridging the right. The, no the right. It doesn't say it creates a right. It, it just says that it makes no law that shall abridge that right. Correct, Daniel. All right, so I just wanted to get that out there. Now, I, we're almost uh, we're running up against time here. So let's do um, any last comments you have before we do our tears jerked and then our final summary and review. I can't think of anything. Let's just move it on. All right. We, we opened with emotional content, so let's talk about the tears jerked out of this and summary and review. Well, there's strong, um, you know, there's some good emotional work in this movie. There's the relationship between the flying snow lady and the broken sword dude. Uh, there's a scene where, you know, th- th- it's, it's essentially, you know, there's the Jet Li is essentially telling a story. And the first story he tells is, is a lie. But and then, you know, the truth comes out slowly is revealed after the multiple tellings. But there's a, a scene in which um, Jet Li has to sacrifice one of these assassins, you know, to, to get within striking distance of the emperor. And Broken Sword and the Flying Snow Lady are both on their way to this meeting. And they both get the idea that I am going to, you know, injure my loved one so that I'm going to go get sacrificed and not you. And this is during the Emperor's telling. He thinks that one is actually dead, but actually they both lived because Jet Li is such a master swordsman that he can stab you. And it looks like you're going to die, but you're not really going to die. Anyway, before you know that fact, you're seeing these two people that care about each other so much that they're willing to die to protect that other person. And then they say, well, what's worth living if I can't live with you? There's some good, good emotional stuff there, good tones. Um, turns out to be a, not a true story. But um, at the time when you're watching it, you don't know that. And, uh, yeah, well done. All right. Daniel. So I, I, my tears jerked are, are similar. There, there is a lot of um, tugging at heartstrings when it comes to who's caring about another, just like you had pointed out. Um, I found that I was also angered by much of this. And I think it mostly had to do with their appeals to the greater good and the uniting of, of the country. And, and he even brings up that the king says that there's no way that you are a citizen of my region because no member of my region would try to kill me. And that's how I know you're not from here. And I was like, yeah. what does that have to do with anything? But... <laughs> Anyway, um, so a little bit of tears jerked. I'm going to go with like four out of ten tears jerked on that. What was your number on that? Uh, I'll say, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it one, one notch higher. I'll give it a five. Uh, for the majority of the movie, there's not a lot of tears jerked, but a, a few key scenes are pretty strong. Yeah, and then there is the, I, I guess, what is the truthful version where Flying Snow and Broken Sword do fight, and to prove that he cares for her, he doesn't defend himself and lets him kill Let's her kill him. And then she then commits suicide using the sword that's already in him so that they can die together. And that was emotional, uh, but also really kind of dumb. Yeah, that one wasn't as nearly as emotional as the, as the lie story for me. Because that tied into the, the official crux of the argument. Yeah, Are the we going to be a collective and uh, is this ruling the world a great idea or not? And I've already established which side of the argument I'm on. 
Oh, very much so. In fact, we veered very far from the movie to get into that. But uh, let's do our final summary and review, and then we will wind the show down. All right. So this movie, I think you can watch it um, and enjoy it for the most part until I think it really just kind of falls apart at the very end for me um, with the Jet Li character changing his mind or basically being convinced that uh, killing the Emperor is a bad idea. Um, And he gets convinced that, you know, collectivism and world government and murdering empire is, is, is fantastic because it's only it's, it's romanticized and it's stupid it's 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 utopian idea that you can create the perfect ruling system for everybody on earth are you kidding me one centralized ruler knows what's best for every single other person on earth what what mad madness is this it's mad hubris mad hubris and it's still in effect today this is like the constant struggle with humanity that think that they can just tinker with you know force just just right so that you got the majority of the world that are either full-blown status or uh, full-blown minarchists or you know just minarchists um anyway the movie is poetic and beautiful and beautifully shot uh the fight scenes are very artfully done they're like dances uh if you don't mind your your, your protagonists being like essentially superheroes um, and it, you know it has a philosophical argument to make, even though I mightily disagree with the uh, the answer given in the movie. So I will give this movie uh, five out of ten. I want it up till up to the last you know ten minutes. Uh, this movie is like a I'd give it more like a seven and a half to eight, but no, uh, you can't you can't tease me with a good movie and then betray me at the end movie. I'm sorry, you get a five, Daniel. All right, I I enjoyed your summary and. I also found this to be a very beautiful film, a lot of cinematography, a lot of poetry, brilliant choreography of the martial arts, fight scenes, and I was thoroughly enjoying the um, fragmented storytelling. It was almost mysterious. It it maintained tension that whole time, right? Yeah, what the truth was. Yeah, that was really fun. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So it was like a vehicle to get him closer and closer to within striking distance of the king. And uh, they color coded them so you could kind of tell them apart. And I think um, upon rewatching, it might make a little, even a little bit more sense, right? Because they had the white, the orange, the blue, the red, uh, the different um, kind of keys for, for each of the scenes or each of the narratives that was going on. And I kept hoping, I kept hoping that the final twist was going to be when he told the broken sword story that he was appealing to the king's vanity because the king was like, oh, finally someone understands me. This is amazing. Yeah, you see, I'm I'm being this really bad motherfucker to do something really good and fi- finally someone gets it. I was so hoping he was using that to get his guard down to be able to actually, you know, assassinate that dude because he was an evil dude. Uh, in The Last Supper, we talked about their philosophical question was, do you kill baby Hitler or uh, Hitler before he's done anything wrong? And of course, the, the story is, or the, the the correct answer is no. You talk to the man. You try to like find out why. You know, assuming that you know the knowledge that in the future he's going to do this atrocity, you try to reason with him. Well, this guy had already committed atrocities. I mean, he's already yeah. a war criminal. So, yeah. and and you know that he's going to commit more atrocities. He's basically telegraphing it. He's saying it. He's he's like, I'm going to unite the kingdoms, hell or high water. I'm going to murder people to do it. So you know that assassinating him is going to eliminate that. Um, Granted, you're also probably going to have some other, some other, you know, number two rise up and try to do the same thing. So uh, it's a multi-headed hydra of a beast. But uh, like you, I was riding real high on this movie until that end point. I was, I was thinking, hey, this is an eight or a nine. I mean, this is, this is beautiful, really well uh, done, and the storytelling, the narrative. I almost felt like it was Memento and Quentin Tarantino-esque, and actually uh, Tarantino was attached to this a little bit in bringing it to the U.S. Um, I think he it, it, it sat in obscurity for a little while, and people weren't, weren't willing to release it in the U.S., and then Tarantino stepped in and helped get it to, um, to, into distribution in the United States. So I think that's good, and, and it, it almost played well, that, a little bit like Pulp Fiction in the fragmented storytelling. Well, that would make sense. Um, that would be explain why um, the guy that voiced the emperor was the same guy that's in Big Trouble in Little China. That was fun. I like that. Oh, okay. I didn't catch that. Wang Lo, or what is his name in Big Trouble in China? I forget. Lo Pan. Lo Pan, that's right. Yeah, I love that back. movie. We should do that yeah. one sometime. We should. But yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. The storytelling was fun, was really fun. The colors and the the storytelling with the 
the way that they told the story with the lies, what was the truth, and getting to that. So it was almost like a mystery. It was just so well done. And then at the end, the very end, it's a, just a big piece of government propaganda. It's so disappointing. Yeah, it, it takes quite the turn. So <laughs> rather than the eight or nine, I'm going to go probably with a four or a five on this, on this bad boy. Though I do recommend seeing it, especially after listening to us just lambast the, um, the turn, because it is really well done. It's, it's beautiful, and Donnie Yen's a badass, and um, uh, he actually survives at the end. Spoilers, everyone. Ha! Uh, but anyway, I think that's going to wind us uh, uh, down for this show. This is The Last Nighters. You can find the show notes page and more at lastnighters.com slash 14. And um, I'm going to say goodnight from last night. It's been an honor and a white privilege talking to everybody. You have a good night, you beautiful, beautiful people. All right, and continuing the transmission on Actual Anarchy, uh, and this is actualanarchy.com slash 71 for the show notes on this one. We'll go for a few more minutes, and then we'll get into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which you can get on the Patreon bonus content. Support us at patreon.com slash readrothbard to get a piece of that action. So, uh, Robert, my thoughts. Yo. Uh, we went way anarchist in our... <laughs> oh, yeah. Under well, it was, it, it was so inspired by the movie. I mean, we couldn't not do it, honestly. I mean, the whole... The whole question was, is Empire a good idea? I mean, we have to address it. We couldn't not say anything. Yeah, it, it's definitely the elephant in the room. Uh, but now that, now that the, the kids who uh, aren't cool with the anarchy, anarchy are, are not listening, um, I did want to mention that there is a little bit of um, cultural appropriation in this. Uh, when it was brought into the U.S., the poster, the movie poster, um, Jet Li is holding what appears to be a Japanese katana. And not oh, really? The, not the, you know, sword with the, the hollow um, middle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that he uses in the film. So I thought that, that was kind yeah, of that funny. Makes, that makes no sense. They are, are they saying that American audiences are so stupid, they only recognize katanas? I don't know. Why yeah, who matter? knows? Why would, why would we care? It's a marketing it's a sword. thing. It's just because we don't, maybe, maybe a lot of people don't understand the difference between a Chinese version of a sword and a Japanese version of a sword. But who cares? Anyway, oh well, it's just a marketing decision. Yes, and then uh, there was a Time Magazine review of the film by Richard Corliss, and he makes this observation. He says, men must make war to secure the peace. And he says that's kind of one of the points of the movie. And I don't buy that at all. That's very neocon. Gross. Gross. I mean, you'll you'll make a lot of money spouting that kind of bullshit because there's plenty of defense contractors and government types that want to have an intellectual cover to their policies, but that's so far from the truth, it's ridiculous. I and mean, that's just a way to perpetuate war and murder and death and keep making the world a shitty place. Now, oh, on, an, indi- on an individual level, though, I do believe that the capacity to have self-defense uh, is a deterrent to crime. And so I think that they're taking that truth and extrapolating it out to where it breaks down on, on a, you know, a nation scale. Right. Well, but it's never, I mean, they say one thing and then they do another. They constantly say that, oh, well, it's just for national defense. Oh, is that why you have hundreds of bases worldwide? And that's why you fight all these wars of aggression constantly? Oh, no, no, no. Those are just, those are wars of defense against bad people who are starting these things. That's why the, you know, that's the same excuse that all the tyrants start all the time. Well, and, and the they right fire, the Gulf of Tonkin, the, they're never the ones that start it. Oh, no, it's the evil other people. And right, we're just doing this defensively, and that's why we're invading defensively. It's horseshit. Yeah, and, and they did the Orwellian you know, language switch, right? It used to be the Secretary of War, the Department of oh, yeah. War, and then mm-hmm. it, it changed. So Absolutely. anyway, there's all that good stuff. And then uh, Jet Li, he's a bit of a uh, world government type, um, promoting you know UN-style solutions to things. And So he, he really likes this movie. There's three movies that he considers part of his legacy, and this is one of them. And he says the lesson from this one is the suffering of one person can never be as significant as the suffering of a nation. Gross. That's just another way to say that your life is not as important as that of the collective, and the collective can destroy you if it's better for the collective. And where do you draw the line? Because you can always come up with some dumbass excuse as to why you need to be exterminated for the good of the collective. If you engage in some wrong think, if you're not towing the particular party line that's currently popular. You know, people's opinions and values and policy from government change all the time. And there's always going to be disagreement with human beings. No two people are going to hold the same opinion on everything. 
So there's an endless number of excuses that can be used to kill you under collectivism, socialism, communism. You can call it whatever you want, but it is collectivism. It is putting the rights of the many above the rights of the individual. And it's, it's, it's the reason why you know, people keep you die in the hundreds of millions through it. It's, it's a shit show that's as old as time, and humanity still hasn't learned the lesson. Well, I think we have, but as a whole, these, these, these fuckers are still, uh, still using these ideas. It's been debunked over and over and over again. But, uh, oh, Daniel's just depressing. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, 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 I'm bursting our bubble here. But, uh, you know, and the king of, of Chin, if, if we're saying that right, um, he sets the stage for 2,000 years later for, for Mao to be pulling his shit and 40 or 50 million people dying as a result. So, you know, it's just a continuation of that collective. And there are no real collective rights. It's only individuals that exist. And so to go this, like, super utilitarian route and try to make interpersonal comparisons um, across value of, like, people's lives is, is pretty crazy. And uh, I, don't, I don't support it at all. So I think that Jet Li, he's probably a nice guy. He's a great, brilliant martial artist. Um, but I think that his, uh, his ideas are very, very influenced by the culture and the, the government in which he uh, grew up. And, you know, it's hard to blame the guy. I mean, it's, it's what he believes. It's just it's, it's pretty wrong. So that's, that's all i got to say about that. Yeah, I mean, he's not – I mean, he's, he's adding to the world of propaganda that promotes this terrible stuff. But ultimately, you're right. I mean, he is just a guy with a bad opinion. Um, he's not, you know, in a direct position to violently attack someone, hopefully. But he is contributing to the overall culture that finds this horrific stuff acceptable. I know he's, like you said, he was born into a, a very collectivistic type of culture. Um, hopefully that's changing with more and more capitalism. You know, in, in China, lifting millions and billions of people out of poverty. But uh, I don't know. That sort of culture is very slow to change, I think it seems like. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you bring up a, an interesting point because we talked about Sesame Credit in this uh, episode earlier. And wouldn't they need to have access to social networks and computers and smartphones and whatnot? And I, and I know that, there, that a fair amount of people in China do. They are being lifted out of poverty and, and there's a lot of capitalistic activity going on and, and whatnot. But aren't there all also still, you know, hundreds of millions of peasant types that wouldn't have access to these types of tools? And, and in, in essence, is capitalism providing the rope with which they will collectively hang? Yeah, it is. It, but that's, you know, capitalism has been funding every other ism since the dawn of mankind. So yeah, That's an excellent point, Touche. I mean, you know, socialists, they, they even, I think, what is it, Russia, they fully admitted that they couldn't compete with, you know, free markets. They just copied the prices. So they, they just used capitalism you know, and all the good things that it creates, and then they decry it after they steal all the uh, the excesses of capitalism. It, it's kind of capitalism's fatal flaw in that it creates so much wealth, it allows for such bad ideas to ferment. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you really, don't have to scrape by. Now you have time to, like, protest and leisure and <laughs> petition and Come whatnot. up with terrible ideas. <laughs> yeah, kind of like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it allows for really terrible ideas to come about. It's, uh, it's, it's bad. It's bad. Not that it's capitalism is bad, but it's, it's one of the, uh, yeah, the, uh, I don't know, unintended consequences. It's the fuel that, that can be misdirected. Yeah, they, they, they decry capitalism and all its successes, but at the same time, they're, they're living off the luxury that it provides. So it's not to say that capitalism is a, is a, is a living thing, but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm using shorthand here. Um, and really all capitalism is, is just voluntary exchange. It's just people following their own ends to benefit themselves, and in that turn, serving their fellow man. I mean, it's, this is basic shit, people. But apparently very complicated. They don't talk, they don't talk about this in school after kindergarten, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, all you need to know is what you learned in kindergarten. There, I think that was a book came out like 30 years ago, and it wasn't intended to uh, talk about capitalism or voluntary exchange or uh, how society would best operate, but it really kind of is. Um, all you need to know is don't hit, don't take, uh, try to do something productive, produce something that is going to satisfy yourself and, and by extension your fellow man, and things are going to work out pretty dang good. Yeah, and then, you know, 11 more years of indoctrination or 12 more years or 16 more years for some people that uh, just, just screws it all up. Yep, and on that note, uh, screwing everything up, let's, wind, let's end this show. 
Um, a quick update from you on anything, and then uh, then we'll say goodnight. The writing's going really well. I'm really happy with it. Um, I, I don't have a timeline on when anything's going to be finished, but I just little update that I'm I'm really happy with things the way they're going right now. And um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Actual Anarchy with my buddy uh, D Love and uh, Robbie J. Take care of yourselves, everybody. All right, yeah, thank you guys for checking this out. Uh, I hope that we weren't too much on the soapboxes on this one. I, I really enjoyed this movie and the conversation that was a result of it. And you can find the show notes and more at actualanarchy.com. Uh, you can do the Patreon stuff to get some of the bonus content, um, like, subscribe, share, all that stuff um, when we post this, and uh, give us some, uh, some love on the YouTubes and the Facebooks and all that stuff. And with that, I say goodnight. Thank you guys very much. We're going to do a little bit of Kathleen Turner Overdrive after this. Uh, peace out. All right, so, yeah, next week, stay with us. Super Troopers, man, is coming out. Super Troopers 2 is coming out, so we're going to do Super Troopers. Uh, classic comedy with uh, Canadian comedy, right? I mean, I don't What is the name of that troop? Is there a troop that do it? Broken Lizard. They also Broken did Lizard Beer, Beer Fest and um, I want to say some weed-related movie. I don't, I don't know about that one, though. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, we'll see if it holds up. But apparently, you know, it's got enough, a big of a fan base to do a second one. I mean, a million years later, but still. Yeah, and I enjoyed Super Troopers, so that's going to be our next episode, 72. So check that one out next week. Super and Troopers. it is it is about cops. It is about road pirates. So we'll probably have a few things to say. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do